Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life, featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jesus and his disciples are heading south towards Jerusalem. Now remember, they've been on this course for a while now. The culmination of Jesus' ministry is about to occur. But as he goes, Jesus is still teaching, and he's still trying to impart ideas and concepts to his thick-headed disciples. And sadly, we're about to see one of their more thick-headed moments. See, Jesus had just gone done teaching, right, about how the first shall be last and the last first. In other words, what makes you great in God's kingdom is God and his grace and the salvation he offers. And what makes you great down here is the exact opposite, right? It's pride and power and position and lording yourself over people. That's what makes you great down here, but not in God's kingdom. The first shall be last and the last first. The disciples just heard this truth. Well, as they're walking along, Jesus then pulls them aside. And I think Jesus then gives them the greatest example of this truth, that to be great, you must be willing to serve and to live humbly. He pulls them aside and tells them these words. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised. Matthew 20, verses 18 through 19. I wonder how the disciples responded when they heard this. I wonder if Peter began to argue back, I'm not going to let that happen, and... Then he quickly shuts himself down because last time he did that, he got accused of being Satan where Jesus says, hey, get thee behind me, Satan, right? And Peter's like, I don't want that accusation ever to happen again. Or I wonder if Simon the Zealot, you know, or, or another disciple who was really concerned about the kingdom and fighting the Romans, I, I wonder if he thought to himself, well, you're going to establish a great kingdom, right? And then be flogged? And then there's a, probably a whole bunch of disciples. And I imagine Thaddeus, he probably just looks at Jesus and thinks, I wonder what we're moving south for and when is supper and why are we here again? But the one I think about the most at this point is Judas. What did he think? You know, Jesus just predicted his coming death. And he said he would be delivered and handed over. That's what my version says. Well, the King James Version says, betrayed. That Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be betrayed. Other versions says, other versions say delivered and handed over. The idea here is that Jesus may have been hinting at the fact he was going to be betrayed, or maybe he just flat out said it, that I am going to be betrayed. I am going to be betrayed. Someone was going to betray him to Roman authorities. Someone was going to hand him over. And I wonder when Judas heard that, if he thought, Oh, I've been caught. I better start running. And he starts looking at the other disciples. Because I think for a while now, Judas has been disillusioned. 
And I think he's already thinking, you know, I'm going to betray Jesus because this so-called ministry is a farce. And I think that burning anger is beginning to come out. And I wonder if Jesus looks straight at Judas when he says the Son of Man will be handed over to chief priests and scribes. And I wonder if Jesus looks at Judas, urging him to repent. You know, he doesn't say it, but I wonder if he looks directly at him and here, Judas, you've got a chance to repent, to change. But Judas doesn't listen. I think it's also interesting that Jesus calls himself the son of man. Jesus says the son of man will be handed over. Jesus often used this title of himself. And whenever he used the title son of man, Jesus is essentially calling himself the Messiah. And if you're a good Jew who knew your Torah and knew the book of Daniel, you would be making that same connection too. Because Daniel 7 uses the phrase the son of man in a prophecy about a coming king. See, Daniel has a vision from God, and in it, Daniel says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom will not be destroyed. Wow, Daniel 7, 13-14. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he was referring to this very prophecy and calling himself that man who was brought before the Ancient of Days, that Son of Man. He's essentially calling himself the Messiah, the Eternal King. And a good Jew would know that, and many of his disciples were good Jews, and they knew that. And that is why I think sometimes they just don't, get what Jesus is saying is about to happen. No, we as Christians have the benefit of hindsight, right? But in that moment, if you were a disciple, do you think it would make any sense for someone who has been calling himself a mighty king, the Messiah, to be flogged and crucified? It doesn't make any sense. And what does it mean to rise on the third day? Does it mean he's going to rise? Does that mean he's going to fly? Or, or maybe rise up to be king of the world? Uh, in some ways, I understand why the disciples didn't get it. Well, not only did they not understand the death and resurrection stuff. By the way, this was the third time that Jesus predicted of his coming death and resurrection. But still, after it all, the disciples weren't certain what happened. Well, not only did they not get that stuff, they were about to show that they also didn't get that earlier teaching on humility. That earlier teaching on the last shall be first and the first last. Be humble. Jesus values humility. Well, they didn't actually get that. They didn't terribly understand that truth because here comes the sons of Zebedee and their mom. 
Now, I don't know if James and John, you know, ask their mom to ask Jesus for them, to ask this question of Jesus. Or, or maybe did this come from the mom herself, you know, and her own wishes for her children? All I know is what's about to happen is rather embarrassing. So Jesus is teaching, right? And often a rabbi, when he teaches, is going to sit down. And it says that Mrs. Zebedee, or John and James's mom, she comes down and she kneels by Jesus and asks him privately a question. Mrs. Zebedee basically leans in, and it says in Matthew 20, verse 21, she asks Jesus this, or she actually more makes a statement. She says, promise, she says this to Jesus, promise that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. Promise. Wow. That's a pretty bold thing to ask for. She asked for her two boys to have power and prestige in the coming kingdom. Now, where did Mrs. Zebedee show up from? Now, remember, there are these 12 disciples. And then there's other disciples who began to follow Jesus. It said there were large crowds. Well, I think Mrs. Zebedee was one of those larger disciples outside of the 12. And sometimes those larger disciples, even the 12, had a support network following them. And maybe Mrs. Zebedee was part of that. Maybe their mom came along and helped feed and clothe them and take care of them. I don't know. I think Mrs. Zebedee was a true follower of Jesus. But man, she sure missed this point. I suspect she overheard Jesus saying about his coming kingdom and how he's going to be flogged and crucified and then he's going to rise. And I wonder if she pulls her boys aside and says, hey, I just heard Jesus say what he just told you about. He's going to rise and be crucified and then rise again. It sounds as if Jesus's ministry is coming to a close and you've got to get in on that ruling class thing. You've got to get into the, the positions of power and prestige in his coming kingdom. We can't let that go. And you've got to talk to Jesus. John, talk to Jesus. James, you've got to ask Jesus, can I be, you know, your right hand man? You've got to do that. Well, I think instead of waiting for her boys to ask, she just does it herself. I think when Jesus heard this, I think he just shook his head. He just got done teaching about humility and grace. And, and here, Mrs. Zebedee, you want power for your sons? James and John, you're letting your mom talk for you? Because you really want this power and prestige yourself. He doesn't say this, but I wonder if Jesus is thinking, what are you thinking? I just got done teaching about power. I just got done teaching about humility and grace, and you're only concerned about power and prestige? And I also think Jesus was thinking, you don't know what I'm about to suffer. You don't know the great suffering that I'm about to endure to accomplish salvation for all of you. Jesus responds to her statement by saying in verse 22, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? 
Jesus asks James and John and Mrs. Zebedee this fundamental question. Are you willing to suffer as I am about to suffer? When he says drink this cup, he's referring to the cup of suffering he's about to endure. The one later on in the garden, he begs for his father to remove from him, to not allow him to drink. Because he knows how horrible it will be. But when Jesus asks James and John if, he, if they think they can drink the cup that he's about to drink, they respond by saying, we are able. We are able. And I think Jesus just shook his head in response to that as well. Because he knew they couldn't. He knew there was no way they could face the suffering he was about to endure. Well, Jesus responds by reminding them that even he is in submission to someone. And he tells them that, guess what? He has a father. And his dad, he's the one who has to make decisions like that. Who's going to reign with Jesus? It's up to the father. Because Jesus responds by saying, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Jesus essentially tells them they're going to suffer. In that sense, they will drink from the same cup he will drink from in the sense that they both will suffer. James Later on, after Jesus ascends and the church is started, James becomes one of the first to be martyred for his faith. His head is lopped off by King Herod Agrippa I of Judea. Why? Because James was a believer. Because James was a Christian. And John, he's going to have to suffer. Now, one way he suffers is he doesn't die a martyr's death like the rest of the disciples. No, he has to live the longest. But for a lot of it, he's exiled to this island called Patmos, which is a lonely rock in the middle of nowhere. John and James are both going to suffer. But nothing like our Savior. The cup Jesus would have to drink, we can't even begin to fathom what he had to endure. Well, sadly, the situation just got worse because eventually the disciples found out what James and John requested. And guess what? The Bible says the disciples were indignant. They were angry. And I can imagine they all crowd around James and John and Mrs. Zebedee and they just start yelling at him. Who are you to think you can reign as some king? What gives you the right to lord it over anyone? I wonder how Peter took it, you know, being a strong-willed leader himself. I wonder if others thought, hey, did Jesus actually give them seats next to him? Are they on the podium? Hey, I want to be on the podium. I want to be part of the power structure and start squabbling back and forth. Who's the greatest and what are they going to be and what position are they going to have and back and forth and yeah, yeah. And then I think Jesus walks in the middle of this screaming, squabbling, angry mess and goes, I think he dog whispers him, Caesar Milan. Jesus just stops him. And then Jesus says some of the most powerful words 
some of the most powerful statements about what it means to serve and to provide salvation. And I think these words that Jesus says to shut them all up are words that you should remember, memorize, and take to heart. Because in the middle of all that screaming mess, Jesus walks in, and he says this. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Serve the Son of Man, the great King. Even he serves, and he will give the greatest act of kindness and service ever recorded when he will give his life as a ransom for many. King Jesus will, as it says in Philippians 2, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he, Jesus, emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2, 6-11. through 11. Jesus just walks in and he says, don't talk about position and power. No, talk about serving and service. Talk about taking care of each other. Talk about sharing that toy, sharing that thing with your friend, letting your friend defeat a whole level in Nintendo or whatever it happens to be. Let another man take the glory for a project that you rightly maybe deserve, but hey, it would really help them. Are you willing to serve others in that way? Talk about giving a drink to a poor person who's thirsty. Talk about serving someone who has no way to pay you back. Talk about taking care of those who are the least powerful. That's what we need to talk about, not about position, not about power. Well, the disciples, I think, must have left with their tails between their legs, having been reminded again to be great in the kingdom of God means you need to be humble and to serve others. That is the path to greatness. Well, they had gotten all the way to the city of Jericho. And the Bible says, as they were leaving Jericho, two blind beggars began screaming for Jesus. They screamed out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Ah, they began to scream. I mean, they must have been loud because the Bible says the crowd demanded that they be quiet. But these beggars knew this was their last chance to be healed. They knew that Jesus was about to leave Jericho and they needed to grab hold of Jesus. Now, they were in desperate need. They didn't want him to pass by without healing them. And so they screamed, they yelled, they did everything they could to get Jesus' attention. They did not want him to leave them without blessing them. And so Jesus stops. 
and he asks these two blind beggars what they wanted. And they said they wanted their sight restored. And then Jesus touches their eyes and gives them back their sight. And then the Bible says these two men began to follow him. You know, they didn't just run off and, hey, I'm now healed. Yay, I got what I want to know. They are true disciples of Jesus. Why? Because they began to follow him. And I want to end this week's podcast with this twin reminder. Number one, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, Son of man, he stopped to heal two lowly blind beggars on his way to die for common sinful beggars like you and me. The Son of man gave us the perfect example of what a life of service looks like. Secondly, notice that these blind beggars didn't give up. They knew this chance for healing was passing them by, and they did not want to miss it. They knew the rightful heir to the throne of David. They called him the son of David, right? And they knew the soon coming king of the universe, the son of man, was passing them by and about to leave, and they yelled and did all they could to not let that happen. And some of you have heard the message of the gospel over and over again. You've heard it on this podcast. You've heard it from friends. You've heard it at church. You've heard it at VBS. You've heard it at Sunday school. You've heard it on the radio, in songs. And you've heard that Jesus came to die and to give his life a ransom for many. And all you have to do is ask Jesus to save you. Put your faith and believing loyalty and trust in him. In him alone, and Jesus says, you'll then be a part of my family and spend eternity with me forever. But you haven't done it yet. You're too busy. You get busy doing things. You say, I'll do it later. I urge you, today, ask Jesus to save you. Today, become a part of his kingdom, his family. Don't let this chance pass you by. Because that opportunity may never return. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week.